I, I was never very good or didn't have a, a good success rate by taking a brand new product that somebody just invented that nobody was using and trying to market it. I really would reach out and I think one secret to my success, no pun intended, is that I, I would reach out to the actual customers of those products and spend time interviewing them about what they liked and what they didn't like. And I would do that with 20 or 30 people and I would be recording them on video when I did it and we would turn these, these into testimonials. And in the course of doing that, I would learn exactly what people liked about a product, exactly what they didn't like, what questions they might have, and it really helped me craft a marketing message that people would respond to. And I still think that for me, the single most powerful marketing tool that I can deploy for any company or product or brand are authentic testimonials. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show, very interesting individual, and you're just going to love this because I, some of you that are listening maybe have heard of the brand GoPro, possibly, or have you heard of the brand, the George Foreman Grill, which actually is the number one appliance that's been sold in North America in history. So the individual that we are interviewing today that you get to listen to is Rick Cesari, and his last name is spelled C-E-S-A-R-I, and he is the person behind some of these brands as far as the marketing and the messages that led to GoPro going to from nearly zero to $1 billion company. So you'll love to hear his story. Now, when we go through this, Rick's journey as an entrepreneur, he was actually going to start as a dentist and made a decision early in life that, I don't know if this is going to work for me, and started to follow his passion of being able to provide and influence other individuals. He has a new book called Video Persuasion, Everything You Need to Know, and it's really about how video is changing how we communicate to the world, both from a commercial and personal point of view. And so he has his brand new book that's coming out in that uh, is something to consider that you can get online. We'll have all, on the show notes all the connections and his website. But one of the things that came out of the show is the importance of being true to self in that you're following your passions. And we have sort of this gut feel that there's more to life. Every single one of us that is listening to this or that is listening to this, is we're going we're gonna to go. We're going to die. And not to be morbid in any way is to say, can we bring our best every day? Is that possible? And the only way we can do that is by tapping into our values, what's most important to us, our innate gifts, talents, what the passions that really excite and energize us. And so with that, we have a brand new course that's out. Now, of course, these recordings and podcasts are, are in cyberspace forever, so it could be like three years later. But my encouragement is that we have this brand new course that's coming out when we release this episode on what do you really value. It's one of the number one conference presentations that I have done. I just finished doing a conference in uh, Texas. It was the number one rated presentation in the entire conference of 150 or 160 different presentations. And with that, 
is that what do you really value as an e-course to help you get clear about what is it that's most important to you that you can make the right decision every time. So I encourage that you would just think about that. Uh, we'll have the links in the show notes for you and then take that e-course to be able and you get a values assessment with the two and then you will be able to know what really motivates you and what generates interest for you and what doesn't and what to say no to. As always, thank you for spending your most valuable commodity or time on this show. If you like what we're doing, please share it, pass it on, let other people know about it, leave a positive comment or rating on whatever platform you're listening to. So here's our show with Rick Cesari, and Rick is the author of Video Persuasion, but also Behind the Brands of the George Foreman Grill and GoPro. So listen to his story. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today we have somebody who has worked with billion-dollar companies, helping them to build success, brands, marketing, as well as really having his own successful entrepreneurial journey to get in this space to be an advisor to companies like GoPro and others, which I won't reveal now because that'll take away from the show. So welcome, Rick Cesare. Rick, now, did I say that correctly? You did, Ken. Uh, it is a hard name to pronounce, but you said it correctly, so thank you. <laughs> okay. Now, you're an expert on you know, persuasion and in video in the marketplace, which is everywhere now, and we'll get into that at the end of the show. But, Rick, what we like to do is kind of get to know our guests here at SOS and your journey. So where did you grow up or where were you born as far as the beginning of your life there? That's a good question. I, I was born in White Plains, New York, and spent the first 16 years of my life growing up in that area, which is Westchester County, just north of New York City. And then when I uh, turned 16, uh, not because I turned 16, but at that age, my family decided to move down to Daytona Beach, Florida. And I spent 10 years down in Florida and eventually migrated out to Seattle in 1986. And now you're the, as we talked about pre-air, is you're in the hub of the world now with Amazon and Starbucks and Microsoft being in that space now. Absolutely. If you're into technology and selling online and software, this is where you want to be. Oh, for sure. Or possibly coffee culture. Oh, that's uh, exactly coffee. <laughs> for the Northwest. And, and now, the funny Rick, thing, it used to be lumber and natural resources and things like that, but that's kind of its trans transition now. No, uh, absolutely. And of course, having relatives down there, uh, we've seen the changes over the years just being north here in Vancouver. So Rick, let's kind of go back when you were 16. What's sort of the professions of your parents? You know, my grandfather came over as an immigrant from Italy and like some Im immigrants do, started a little grocery store. And so my dad basically took over the grocery store business and you know we i'm one of eight children so we wow. had yeah it was interesting growing up in a big family and owning our own business like that uh we started working in the business at a very young age and develop what i consider a good work ethic um just because we were made to do that really early and actually being in the grocery business learned a lot about customer service and you know how to deal with people on a friendly business level. And some of those early lessons definitely helped me throughout life as I started uh, several other businesses of my own. 
Cool. So when you think about that 16th birthday transition, what motivated your dad to move? What was the reason for that? Okay. So that this gets a, a little bit on the sad side, but it leads into a business opportunity that I created later. My dad passed away when he was 46 from a heart attack. And that's what prompted our family to move down to Florida. We sold the grocery store. And um, he uh, passed away really by a lot of things we know that can be prevented today. Uh, you know, smoked two packs of camels a day, ate a lot of red meat, uh, had a stressful lifestyle. You know, if you could imagine trying to support a family of eight kids and things like that. And so, you know, one of the th businesses we'll talk about later, I started down the road after coming to Seattle was uh, a business that taught people how to eat better, uh, eat more fruits and vegetables and grains and legumes, and that was called Trillium Health Products. But we'll circle around a little bit later and, and talk about that because after we moved down to Florida, I went to high school, I was in my junior year, and after I graduated, I went back to college in western Pennsylvania. And I was talking to a, a friend that I w in, in college and we both decided that we were going to become dentists. So I studied uh, biology in college, and I have a BS degree in biology with the idea that I was going to go to dental school. My friend went to the University of Florida Dental School, became a dentist. I ended up applying to University of Pittsburgh Dental School, got accepted, but I didn't feel like actually doing that and continuing with school. So I came down to Florida and got interested in real estate because I read a lot of books and uh, on how people have made money and a lot of them had become millionaires through real estate and that's I kind of just started doing a little bit investing on my own and you know I, I met up with a guy who was putting on seminars uh, helped him out and I basically learned a lot of the marketing um, in my life just by actually hands-on doing it and not through any formal training in school mm. so just back up for a second what motivated the family to move to Victoria uh, to Florida from New York. What was what was sort of driving that decision? You, there's lots of places you could have gone. Yeah, so we we had uh, f uh, family friends down there, and you know, a picture. Well, my mom, we weren't, you know, we were basically middle class. We we didn't have a lot of money, but we weren't, you know, poor either. And when my dad passed away, my mom was left um, raising eight kids. Two of them were in college. And Florida at the time was just a, a much less expensive place to live. And so that was probably what prompted the, the move at that point more than anything else. Mm. And then how did your mom support you guys once um, dad had passed away? Yeah, that's a good, you know, like I said, we sold the, the business, but it was like a small corner grocery store. So that, that wasn't a huge amount of money, enough to, um, you know, buy a house in Florida. And then all the kids uh, in the family worked and, and, and pitched in and, and helped, helped support. My mom went back to work before she was just a, um, uh, you know, somebody that stayed at home and helped raise the kids. But when life changed like that, she had to get mm -hmm. back into into the workforce. And so really just a matter of everybody pitching in and doing their part. And rallying together. Yes. Well, it, I mean, when you think about it, it's not something that maybe happens as often now as, as you'd like. But just this whole sense of community and this whole sense of supporting one another, no matter what. Yes. And, and you know, that was one of the things that uh, a nice part of having a large family and lots of brothers and sisters. 
Mm, for sure. Well, thank you, Rick, for that. Now, when you think about this choice of going down the dental route, how how did that come about? I mean, there's there's this grocery store, there's this family, and all of a sudden, so I want to become a dentist, sort of. And to your credit, you said, I don't know about that. But yeah. where did that initially sort of get drawn into? Well, I remember I was sitting, uh, I, I mentioned I had a good friend, his name's uh, Rick Brown, and he, he lives in Ormond Beach, Florida, which is just north of Daytona, and he's been a dentist for the last 40 years. And we were sitting in his bedroom uh, just talking about, kind of thinking about what was a um, profession that we could be in that, you know, could make some pretty good money. And for whatever reason, we just happened to settle on dentistry. And he, he ended up following through and, and I didn't. There, I mean, there was a, a little bit of thought, but you know, if you're a senior in high school, not many seniors really know exactly what they want to do with their life. A few do, and they, they take the, you know, a cor- you know, get on a course and stay on it. Um, but uh, not a lot of uh, kids know exactly what they want to do at that point. So I kind of let life happen a little bit to me and kind of found my own way and things have turned out pretty good mm. well and we'll get into that in a, in a minute rick and i just want to mean for people that are listening uh you know we do a lot of work around life purpose and it's interesting that when you're a teenager you really don't have the research has shown you don't really even have the reflective capabilities and so you just continuing sort of discovering and my wife worked at a university and the majority of students will have several different majors by the time they finish you know year number two and there's a reason for that is you're just kind of figuring it out. But to your credit, Rick, you didn't go down the dental path. Uh, you really sensed that this call around entrepreneurship was more your thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm grateful that I took that course um, and didn't, you know, spend a lot of money and a lot of time in my life studying to do something that I probably wouldn't have been happy in. So I'm, you know, I'm grateful that I, I did make the decision that I did. My mother wasn't too happy, you know, uh, when I made that decision because she, she, you know, wanted me to go to dental school and, and that type of thing. Instead, you know, when I, when I came back down to Florida, cause I told them I went to school in Western Pennsylvania, I moved back down to Florida after college. And I was a kind of a little bit of a bum for a year. I was a, I was a lifeguard and a, um, a bartender. And so again, my mom wasn't too happy about that. But during that time, I was reading a lot of books, two types of books. I mentioned one before, you know, I'd always read like interested in reading biographies of how people made money. And then also I read a lot of motivational books uh, like by Norman Vincent Peale and uh, W. Clement Stone and, you know, a lot of the original uh, positive thinking uh, motivational mm-hmm. books. And so I, I, got I met motiv- Norman in person in New York. Oh, did you really? Yeah, many years ago, I was part of the National Speakers Association, and he was speaking at an event there, and I just said, he was nearly 90, Mm -hmm. and I have to tell the story, he was just so funny. And I had, in, in the very, and those of us that are older, Rick, I had mm-hmm. cassettes, his cassettes, and would listen to them on a regular basis. So it was, he was really quite amazing when he started that whole, pro- he took a lot of criticism for it. And now we're finding out that our mindset does matter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, definitely, and he was one of the pioneers. And you mentioned audio cassettes. I used to listen to those by uh, him, Dennis Waitley. Uh, Think and Grow Rich, you know, all the different... Um, Napoleon Hill. Yeah, Napoleon Hill, yeah. And uh, uh, and I think that that's, you know, I believe it's good 
they don't teach those things in school. At least they didn't when I was going to school. And I think that it's really great information for anybody that wants to be an entrepreneur or, or just I think it could help just about anybody, those, those types of books. Mm. Well, if they listen to enough of Secrets of Success podcasts, we have those mindset experts on as well as yourself, Rick. So, and no, and I, you know, one thing jury. I wanted to mention, oh, I'm sorry, Ken, one thing I wanted to mention, I loved your podcasts um, going through them. Uh, the different ones, uh, and I'm, I, you know, just got introduced to your podcast not too long ago, and I've already listened to several of the different ones, and I want to listen to all of them because the subject matters are all very interesting to me. Well, thank you, Rick. And it, I think what happens is that we just allow or an organic and natural process and conversation to occur, and just to people always have a story that hopefully can encourage the SOS audience. And, you know, we're just there to serve them and help them. And that's, it, there is a real power in, in story as we, uh, as we share that. So you, you go back to Florida, Rick, and you, you kind of had a cursory mention about this real estate, uh, buying, selling, flipping, uh, renting, whatever it might be. Uh, just tell us a little bit more about that, where you started to help this person there. And how did you get connected with them? And then what was the journey there? So I... I was reading these books that, you know, how to make money in real estate. So I got a real estate license and then I got a real estate broker's license. And but I wasn't selling houses like a regular real estate agent. I would do that to make a little bit of money. But I was more interested in learning how to invest in real estate. And it was a really there was a best selling book back then by Robert Allen called Nothing Down. And it basically taught principles of how you could buy real estate using little or no none of your own money. And so I went out and did some of those things. And then I went to a seminar that was put on in Daytona Beach. And there was like eight people in the room. And I went out and did what the person instructed me to do. And I bought and sold a house. He taught um, how to buy, quote unquote, distressed property. And I bought and sold a house in two weeks and made $12,000. And for me, that was like making a million dollars at that point in my life and the age mm -hmm. that I was at. And I was so grateful. I called up a local business magazine or, or it was a, national, uh, a state business magazine called Florida Trend. And I said, hey, you should do a story on this guy. He's pretty amazing. And he's teaching these seminars. They did a story and it really helped his seminar business. So he called me up and said, hey, would you like to help market these seminars uh, just because of uh, that step that I took? And that's how I really started to learn marketing. And again, we'll date ourselves. We talked about audio cassettes. Our first um, marketing, what we were doing, we were buying newspaper ads, uh, you know, half page, quarter page newspaper ads, inviting people to come to free real estate seminars. And I that's where I really started to be uh, begin to learn direct marketing and direct to consumer marketing uh, through that process. And mm -hmm. I just in really had, had enjoyed it, was passionate about it. And, um, you know, just did everything I could to, to, to learn how to do it better. Wow. Now, Rick, let's just go back a second there. What motivated you to call this magazine to have this thing promoted? Like what was driving you to even consider doing it? I guess I was grateful because the, I learned how to do something and I followed exactly what the they told me to do in the seminar 
and I was successful. So it wasn't like you paid money and then you got ripped off. They were really teaching valuable information. I went out, applied, it was successful. And I don't know what, I. that's a great question, Ken, that I really don't know the answer to what made me pick up the phone and call, but I just felt like it was something that I needed to do. And it's not like a normal response. I, if you took 10 or 15 or 20 people, I don't know how many of them would have done that. And there was no motivation behind it except kind of being grateful for what I had learned and, and, and taking, you know, making an effort to repay the favor. Mm. Now, uh, and I'm just going to be uh, controversial just for a moment, Rick. Sure. When you think about it, you're taking, a, you're going to dentistry, you're doing sciences, and now you're you're writing ads for people to go <laughs> into seminars. Where did that skill set come from, of communication and influence? I, I think that the best answer I can give you is just learning on the job. I when that gentleman called and and asked me to help work with him, I would go to the seminars, I would talk to the people. I, and I still a, a technique I use to this day when I'm working with much larger companies, uh, talk to the customers, give me feedback. And again, it's it's one of the things I think I just had a, a, a knack for um, mm. that, that I didn't know when I was in high school or making a career choice, but just had a, a, a mentality or, or something to do this type of marketing that, that worked out. But I do have a funny connection to the name of your podcast we ended up building the, this real estate seminar business into one of the largest in the country. And the way we did that was we were the, one of the very first ones to use to go from newspaper ads to TV, television advertising. And the very first show we made to promote this real estate seminar was called Secrets of Success. Wow. And the host of the show was a guy named Mason Adams. And again, you might remember this, Ken. He was the city editor on the Lou Grant show, and he was also the voice of Smucker's Jam. Um, he's passed away now, but um, uh, he, he was the host of the show. And I got to go out and interview people uh, like W. Clement Stone. I didn't inter meet or interview Norman Vincent Peale, but a lot of the motivational people at the time, we're, we interviewed them to be uh, a segment on the TV show. So that was a lot of fun. Wow. Okay, so you've got this real estate, you've got this other thing that's kind of digesting there for you. In your bio, you talk about starting to connect with brands that many of us would know. Now, those of us that are older would know the George Foreman grill for sure. <laughs> uh, everybody here listening would know what a GoPro is, or most of you would uh, on that. So where did this progress from now where you're doing this work with this real estate person. Now you're starting to help with this TV. Where where did this go for you? So I have a five-year stretch of success and failure in between before starting to work with some of these well-known products, which I think is important to talk to for your, for your listeners. So I learned uh, a lot about the real estate seminar business and I decided I wanted to go out being entrepreneurial, you know, working in my dad's business from a young age. I wanted to start my own real estate seminar business. I knew how to do the marketing. I had bought and sold some real estate. And so when I went out to do that, the person that I was promoting ended up suing me and I didn't have very many assets at the time. And in order to stop the lawsuits, I had to declare bankruptcy. And I was probably 23 or 24 years old, so I didn't have a lot of assets, and it was done to, to, to stop these lawsuits that happened. And so that's when I first moved to Seattle. I had a friend that I had went to college with 
uh, named Dale Hoffman, and he was in the fishing business out here. He was a boat broker, and he fished for salmon in the summertime. And um, I had an idea that I, using the, the knowledge I learned from doing real estate seminars, I thought that we could do use the television marketing to promote a course on, on buying stocks. And, and so I got this idea by going into a bookstore in the um, business section, and it was a book called How to Make a Million in the Stock Market. So I contacted the author. He became the expert. He created audio cassettes. Uh, we featured the book. We got a lot of information from the New York Stock Exchange, and we made a course. And we ended up making a television show for $8,000, which was very, very inexpensive at the time, and ran it on the, on the old financial news network, which is now CNBC. And it was the early days of television infomercials, and it just became very successful very quickly and literally went from being flat broke and bankrupt to a year and a half later having close to a million dollars in the bank. But I was still kind of young and foolish, so I took that money and invested into a very large commercial fishing boat that fished up in Alaska. And my thinking at the time was, well, I like fishing, and this looks like it could be fun. And I did that, and it turned out after a few trips, we got caught in the storm, and the boat sank, and we didn't have enough insurance um, to cover it. And I lost close to almost all the money I had again. And then I met somebody living in Seattle who uh, was a um, nutritional scientist. He had a PhD in nutrition and he had a weight loss product, a powder, uh, protein powder type product. And I started marketing that again. And again, very successful. It was kind of like... Um, it wasn't easy to do, but it was like the early days of the internet where if you were doing the right things, it was a lot easier to make money online in the earlier days than it is now. And so that was what, like the TV business was back in the late 80s. And um, again, I was making money. And so I had a, a brainstorm that most of the calls were coming in through a telemarketing company. And I said, well, if I invest in this telemarketing company, instead of having to pay these bills, I can I can build that up. And I think it's an important entrepreneurial lesson that just because you know how to do one thing very well doesn't necessarily mean you know how to do something else very well. And so I wasn't very good at managing or running a telemarketing business and, again, lost quite a bit of money in, in that experiment. But then finally, the good news is in 1989, kind of all that turned around and it, it turns out and I... Uh, I followed my passion, which was for health and nutrition, and I uh, started a company called Trillium Health Products, which marketed the Juice Man Juicer and the Bread Man Bread Machine. And that I was out in Seattle. Well, and the that, juice. Well, the Juice Man is, was for those of us that are older. We know him for sure. So, right. are you saying you were the sort of the person behind that product? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what we did was hire Jay Cordich. He's known as a juice man. And if any, you know, if you look at, you can look it up, Jay Cordich online, go to YouTube and you'll see lots and lots of juicing videos. Some of them have a million views. Like there's one on there, how to make fresh orange juice with a million 200,000 views. But anyway, um, he was a spokesperson for the business. We paid him a royalty on every juicer we sold. But my brother and I actually started that company and we were in the right place at the right time with the right product. 
and it just sales just took off and it ended up go we ended up doing close to 75 million in sales in about four years and at the end of that time we sold it to a company in chicago called sultan housewares um because the business was changing from a direct to consumer to more of a retail business and there's a connection then a little we can talk about a little bit more with sultan because they're the ones that actually uh came up with the george foreman grill so there's now, a lot. Sorry, I gave you a lot there. <laughs> was there a little bit there, Rick? Now, let's mm-hmm. just kind of back up for a second. When you think about, you know, for listeners, and we have a varied from younger to older that are listening and entrepreneurs and people that are listening, and of course, you never know exactly who is listening, um, are on this journey of, you know, doing better in life. So what were some of the lessons you learned from these failures that you would be able to and I, and I say failures lightly, but losing a lot of money, like a million bucks back then, would be a lot. What would you say to the listeners there, so they maybe could avoid or de- decrease the chance of that happening to them? Two two things. I'll, I'll give the second part of the answer first. Is and you've probably heard this over and over again, especially if you're an entrepreneur, and that is never give up. I, I think it's Winston Churchill had a quote, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, never, never give up. And I, it's one of my favorite ones. And and if you're an entrepreneur, you have to try sometimes risky things or take a little bit of a risk. Otherwise, I don't think you'd be an entrepreneur. Um, and so there's going to be failures in your life. And, and you know, you're just going to need to keep your head down and kind of move forward and and be able to go through those. But as far as advice at the time, I think one of the things I mentioned was just because you're good at one thing and you have a little bit of success doesn't necessarily mean you can branch out into something totally unknown and be just as successful. I think, I don't know if that was my ego back then or lack of doing due diligence, but I was feeling like anything I could touch was, you know, would turn to gold because I had been successful in this one thing. And I thought, oh, I could just do something else in a totally unrelated business. And I found out a very hard, expensive lesson that that's not the not the mm-hmm. case. And um, I think that those two things really do some due diligence before entering into an area you're not familiar with. But then if there is a fair, I'm not saying not to take a risk, because I think that you do need to do that at certain points, but minimize that risk as much as possible by getting as much advanced knowledge, education, talking to other people Mm -hmm. that have done it. And, you know, I'm a big believer in learning from other people's experience now. I wasn't necessarily that way then, but I'm, I'm a like I said, a big believer of reading books, going to seminars, and learning as much as you can before then taking that step into a new business. Well, as a young entrepreneur, you know, under 30 or near 30, I think to a certain degree, it's containing that enthusiasm within a channel. That, yes. Uh, and so you have all this energy, you have all this enthusiasm, but and it kind of got outside of that mainstream for you. And mm-hmm. by the way, my story is not that different where there's some businesses I got into and just complete disaster as well. So I learned it says, no, 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 what am I really passionate about? Because it seems like 
the other thing that occurs, if you do have a significant amount of success, other people then find you out. Yes. They say, Rick, uh, give us some money here. You've got all this money that's just burning a hole in your pocket. Come over here. All of a sudden, you have all these friends. Yes, And that so is the ability to say no is also a discipline that comes with it too, doesn't it? You hit the nail on the head. Uh, that definitely happens as you start to become successful. Uh, people read about it. And, you know, I'm a big believer in PR. And so we would use PR firms and they would advertise what we were doing and, and you know, getting stories. And people would read this and start reaching out and, and bringing ideas to you and asking you for money. And, and the ability to say no, which I didn't, I've developed more now than I was when I was much younger is very important asset. Mm. Now, uh, Rick, we're going to get to your book here in a moment around your new book, Video Persuasion, uh, Everything You Need to Know. And of course, in today's social media world, you know, one of the number one consumed products beyond our podcast, of course, <laughs> kidding, is video, right? It's, it's all over the place. But I want to kind of go, I want to delve into your brain a little bit here where you have these infocommercial, I know it was the beginning of infocommercials, mm-hmm. yet at the same time, you were able to put these two campaigns together that just rocked it. What is it that was in these infocommercials that you believe was so attractive to people that they signed off and bought these things. So let's just think about the psychology of influence here for a moment. What was it that, that you sort of had this innate knack for that many people search for their whole lives that they never get it, that you just were able to kind of insert into these infocommercials to get people to, to engage? What do you think was there? What's the psychology of, of, that you were using that was so successful? I, I think the thing that's helped me the most in any one of these projects that I've ever done, I, I was never very good or didn't have a, a good success rate by taking a brand new product that somebody just invented that nobody was using and trying to market it. Almost every one of the products you mentioned, the you know, Sonicare toothbrush, OxyClean, George Foreman grill, GoPro cameras, and you know, there's more and more. None of those were, were big brands when I started working with them, but they all were out in the marketplace and doing a couple hundred thousand or even, you know, a couple million in sales. And I really would reach out and I think one secret to my success, no pun intended, is that I I would reach out to the actual customers of those products and spend time interviewing them about what they liked and what they didn't like. And I would do that with 20 or 30 people. And I would be recording them on video when I did it. And we would turn these these into testimonials. But I'll tell you what, Ken, in the course of doing that, I would learn exactly what people liked about a product, exactly what they didn't like, what questions they might have. And it really helped me craft a marketing message that people would respond to. And I still think that for me, the single most powerful marketing tool that I can deploy for any company or product or brand are authentic testimonials. And, you know, in the book, um, Influenced by Dr. Caldini. Are you familiar with that book? Uh, not personally, but I've okay. heard it. That's a, that's, a, that's a good one. And it, it's basically the six principles of persuasion. And one of them is, is the concept of social proof. And that is really basically uh, tells why people respond 
uh, to authentic testimonials. And I talk a lot about that in my book, Video Persuasion, and how to find authentic testimonials, how to interview them, uh, and then how to deploy them in your in your video marketing. And I think that that's if if I had to uh, you know isolate one thing that all of these products had in common that helped them be successful. Um, besides being good products, you know, you can't market, you can market something, but it's never going to be a big brand if it isn't a good product. So they were all good products to start with and basically created a lot of awareness by being able to get authentic testimonials in, in front of people. In the case with a lot of these, it was um, on TV, but with GoPro, it was mostly online. Mm. Well, of course, the transition from uh, the TV world into the online world, I mean, you and I are old enough at this point where we remember a world before the Internet. Yes. <laughs> There's some people who are listening. To there this was one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was just mentioning to a previous guest is that here we are, you know, doing this virtual podcast, recording in the cloud, you know, setting it out, having it available 24-7 forever, uh, this did not exist, you know, 25, 30 years ago. So just the progression of this and what could be, as you said, a million views on watching make orange juice. Are you kidding? Like, wh who would have thought that would have happened, right? Right. So I mean, these, it's just a, a, a different time for us. So you had this company that you sold. And then, of course, they had and controlled the George Foreman Grill. And for those of you that, if you don't know what the George Foreman Grill is, then you need to just go look it up. And, of course, George Foreman being the boxer, and then he endorsed this and had this quick grill set. And we had, I think we still, actually, we still own it. Still have one in our house here. So did they ask you to do the marketing campaign behind this, or how did that come about? It's funny. So I mentioned um, Salton Housewares. They bought our, our juicer business, and we had juicers, bread machines, that, that, the bread man bread machine. And they bought our company, and they, they, they bought it. You see a lot of this happening in the marketplace today, that big corporations like Procter & Gamble will buy a product line, not just for the product, but they're also buying the marketing expertise. So uh, giving an example, there's a deodorant, uh, natural deodorant called Native that Procter & Gamble bought for $200 million. And it was not just to get the deodorant line, which they could copy, but really the way that they marketed the direct to consumer. So I think when Sultan bought us, they were just as interested in the, in the products as they were in the marketing. So they brought me two products. Um, by the way, when I sold the business, we, we had worked again, the other thing, entrepreneurial lifestyle, you really work hard and you're working kind of day and night, seven days a week, at least I wasn't in, in that business. And so when I did solve the business, I took about a year off and just kind of enjoyed myself. And then I had a local company in Seattle call me up and it was called Optiva and they wanted to have me consult and that Optiva was the makers of the Sonicare toothbrush. And at about this, almost the same time, we're talking about like 1995, 1996, uh, Sultan Housewares, came to me and they said, we have two products. One was a homemade bagel maker and the other one was this slanted grill that was really called the Fajita Express. And neither one of them was selling very well. And the original George Foreman grill was designed as a taco maker. And the reason it was slanted was that you'd cook your hamburger meat on it. You'd put your taco shell, you'd move at the edge of the table and then scrape the, the meat into the shell. And um, 
it's just, again, a, a series of coincidences that happened or serendipity or whatever you want to call it. George's agent had reached out. I had somehow crossed paths with him and he was he had just won the world heavyweight champion at the age of 46. He was the oldest ever to hold that crown. And he was looking for products to endorse. And um, we kind of made the connection and put him together with this grill that was a fajita maker and renamed it uh, the Lean Mean Fat Reducing Grilling Machine. And, and the, we, we basically repositioned the product. And the fact that it was slanted basically would allow the excess fat and grease to drain away from your meats when you cooked it. And uh, so we, we had the tagline, knock out the fat. But I think the other reason that it sold really well, and, and just so you know, it's the largest selling housewares product ever. I think there's over 100 million units have been sold. And the real, one of the reasons I think really appealed to people besides knocking out the fat was they cooked it both sides at the same time. And there weren't a lot of grills out there doing that. So you were cutting the cooking time in half. And for a lot of people in the kitchen, that, that made a big difference. Mm -hmm. So combining those two things made that product definitely a winner. And, and, and connecting with a good spokesperson like George uh, really helped as well. Now, Rick, you've been involved with some pretty big brands. Now, tell us about the, and thank you for that, you know, the whole George Foreman, that's a lot of product, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you get connected to GoPro? So one of the things I like to do, uh, I market uh, consumer products. So I'll go to a lot of trade shows like the hardware trade show or the housewares trade show. And so there was a trade show in Salt Lake City called the Outdoor Retailing Trade Show. And I went down and I usually will walk the floor and look for products that I think would, in my opinion, might be good for t television. And so I came across this booth where a guy had driven his Volkswagen bus onto the show floor and he had set up a beach scene outside the Volkswagen bus uh, with a beach chair and an umbrella and some sand. And he was selling these little cameras out the back of the van because the founder of the company, Nick Woodman, who's, who's the guy I met there, was a surfer. And he, the whole reason he developed the GoPro camera was so that he could take pictures of himself while he was surfing. And if you think about um, it's a really great marketing story because he was up. He was making this camera. I mean, he got it manufactured in China, but basically came up with the idea in his garage. And here he is against Sony, Kodak, Panasonic, Polaroid, who's bankrupt now. Um, here's a guy inventing a camera that can take uh, pictures. And really, the genius behind what he did was really created the mounts so that you could mount the camera on your helmet, on your ski pole, on your handlebars of your bike, on the front of a surfboard, and turn the camera around and take pictures of yourself. And the camera technology, while good, wasn't a barrier to entry. Any of these other companies had that technology or the ability to develop it, but really the the, the mounts is what really made it good. So I, I make a long story short, I, I met Nick, um, invited him up to Seattle, we went out to lunch. I remember he had chili cheese fries and a beer. 
And we for two hours or three hours, we talked about a strategy and I have to give him credit. He had a vision for the company, even though he was only doing less than a million in sales and just through surf shops, how he wanted to build this into a billion dollar company. And eight years later, implementing a lot of things we talked about, you know, he went public and they reached a billion dollars in sales. Wow. Now, did you stay on the team that during that entire time? Yes, we we did all of the television marketing for GoPro. So we bought all of the media time and did all the television promotions and sponsored, did Olympic sponsorships. And basically the one key thing that we did that I think helped GoPro more than anything else was really talked through the strategy of how to build the television commercial. And we came up with a really simple idea this was a kind of a group effort. I'm not taking credit this for myself, but we would start each commercial with a GoPro logo. There'd be user generated footage in the middle that people would send into the company. And then we would end it. And this is the part where I feel like I contributed a lot. The early commercials uh, ended with, we basically had a call to action that said, uh, go to our website and register and someone will win one of everything we make every single day. So when you saw a GoPro commercial, whether it was online or on TV, you would go to the website and you'd leave your name and address. So they built up a really big database of names that they could remarket to. The second thing that happened is people would go to the website and they would see all the other cool videos and they would share them with their friends and it created a viral effect. And the third thing that happened, people would go to the website and they'd just buy the camera. So we were generating revenue every time the ad ran. And we helped do those television commercials all during that eight-year process of when they were growing to a billion dollars. And it was one of the things that helped the company, you know, grow as quickly as they did. Cool, cool. Now, you've, we've only actually got a few minutes left, if you can believe it, Rick, because ha- you have so many good stories, right? <laughs> and yes. you've written this book, Video Persuasion. What was, what was driving that? I mean, with all this experience and being in TV and and being sort of the influence marketplace and info commercials, what are you trying to achieve with this book, Video Persuasion? So it's actually my third book. The first book was called Buy Now that came out in 2011. About a year ago, I released another book called Building Billion Dollar Brands. And both those first two books are more case studies about some of the different products we talked about today. This new book, Video Persuasion is really everything I've learned in producing video for people over the last 30 years and producing video to get people to take a specific action. So I'm not teaching you how to make entertainment videos. I'm basically teaching you what content to put in your video that's going to get people to take a specific action, whether it's go to your website or buy a product or lead generation. And I talk a lot about how you can start a video to keep people engaged. What are the three most popular types of content? You know, how you can get video done inexpensively. And like you you mentioned, Ken, we're becoming a video first society. I listen to podcasts all the time. Podcasts are growing. It's one of the fastest growing areas. But on social media, people like to watch video and and there's just more of it and it's easier to make than ever before. So this book is basically taking all of my background and experience in, in making videos that have sold all these products and taking the lessons I've learned in that time and sharing them with the readers. Mm, well, thank you, Rick, for that. Now, Rick, if people want to get a hold of you or get your book, where would they go? 
So the best place to go is my personal website, which is rickcesari.com. It's R-I-C-K, my first name, and the last name is C-E-S-A-R-I, rickcesari.com. And I actually have a free download for people. I mentioned the three most popular types of online video content and how you can use it in your marketing. I, I have a free download that people can get if they go to my website, and then the book is available there as well. And we'll make sure that your uh, website is in the show notes if you're just driving right now and you can't remember uh, everything that Rick has just spelt out. Well, you can always press replay, uh, but we'll have it in the show notes and whatever platform that you're listening to. Now, Rick, we just have a couple of minutes left. So with that, you've seen a lot of success. You've also had the other side of that uh, equation as part of your growth. If you were to encourage the audience with two or three you know, gems of wisdom beyond what you've already shared with us that has led to your success or have been critically important to you, what would that be that you would want to share with the audience today? You know, I, I really always go back to reading and listening to as much information as possible. I know that it uh, can be overwhelming, um, but I would say maybe focus on the area that you're passionate about and learn as much as you can before starting any business uh, from people that have already done it. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's very few really new ideas. One of the things that I always talk about in the in the direct marketing that I do is that I learn from the people that came before me. And, you know, all this new technology we talked about earlier, Ken, is really just different ways of delivering information. And, mm. you know, we progress from print to radio to TV to the Internet. Amazon's the biggest online retailer now. Five years from now, that might not be true. But human nature doesn't change. And the more you can study and learn about things that motivate people or get them to respond, those things will never change. And that's a good skill set to learn. And, you, and there's plenty of books and podcasts and webinars you can go to to learn that. Mm. Well, obviously, uh, Rick, you have learned the art of influence. And of course, now put that into Video Persuasion, your book. So, but thank you for spending the time with us. I don't know where it went, but it just evaporated. <laughs> yeah, I wish we uh, we could have absolutely talk for several hours. And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on your show. And you've been a great uh, interviewer, and I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Well, Rick, thank you for that. And one of the reasons that I might look as a good interviewer is you have great guests. So yes. uh, that was just a little hint on that. Just sort of like you have to have a good product. Exactly. Have a so great almost the same, the same thing. So I had a great product today. Uh, so, uh, Rick, thanks for being on the show. All right. Thank you, Ken. SOS listeners, you know, when we think about success in life, and Rick really has an amazing journey and story, you know, from changing direction of being a dentist all the way to helping brands like GoPro, or maybe he was actually using the George Foreman grill while he was filming himself while he was surfing, who knows. So my encouragement is, is that you would take those risks, that you would step out there and you wouldn't, you know, really make a difference out there in the marketplace. And that's what we need from you is for you to realize your potential. So thank you for listening and spending your most valuable component with us today. And that is your time. Uh, please, if you like what we're doing, share, pass it on, let other people know about the show. You've been listening to the Secrets of Success. I'm your host, 
Dr. Ken Keith. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.